It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, everyone. Charles Watts here. It is Tuesday. It's, of course, the second time you'll see me today, but... It's Tuesday, so that can only mean one thing. It is inside Arsenal extra time with the one and only James Bench, who I've just realised I've started without <laughs> being next to me. I totally left you out there, James. Sorry, mate. If you you're on YouTube, you'll know what I'm talking about. Last second entrance, though. I know. It's a big one. I'm like Fabio Vieira off the bench. Will you make the same sort of impact as Fabio Vieira off the bench? That is a big question. One today, can but dream. I will judge you at the end. I will judge you at the end. So, I mean, that's a nice little segue into what was a very fun game of the weekend. Obviously, I've spoken about it in, on the sh- channel so far, but um, not with you. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on that before we move on to other events. It was a, uh, it was a fun, as you can probably hear by my throat, my voice at the moment. <laughs> it was a, uh, it was a pretty fun afternoon in the end at the Emirates. What were your, what were your thoughts sitting in the press box? Yeah, it's one of those days where I'm very jealous of of people like uh, yourself who kind of, I guess, at the final whistle, I know you have your sort of content to consider and all that stuff, but, you know, you can sort of mill out to the pubs and enjoy a beautiful Sunday evening uh, along the Holloway Road and down to Finsbury Park or wherever you might be enjoying your drinks. Um, and you sort of like sat there going through the press and listening to... I mean, in particular, listening to Eric Ten Hag's absolute nonsense, um, his sort of uh, pretty unconvincing explanations for why um, his Manchester United team didn't win a game in which they um, couldn't really pass the ball uh, to midfield. Um, That sort of... But even that, you know, even sort of that, like missing out on the the post-match celebrations doesn't sort of really dim what an incredible day it was. You know, I mean, I'm sure we all have our stories, those of us that were there. Um, I was sat between two radio uh, reporters, I think Alex Crook from TalkSport, and I don't know who the other person was, but I know he was a Man United fan. Um, and I never got to hear what the Man United fan was saying at the final whistle because I couldn't hear a thing. Bedlam. I mean, we're always going to compare it to... Well, you, I, you were there for both... United last minute winners. How does it compare experiencing that you know truly in the ground rather than in our cosseted section of the ground? No, it's com- it was honestly it was completely different, mate. It was uh, I've not been able to celebrate a goal or win like that since Welbeck against Leicester. You know, it was um it was all it was so much of the reason of me sort of making this sort of shift this season was because of what we what happened last year and missing that and sitting looking at my dad seat thinking I really wish I was there for some of these moments like the Inketia last minute goal against United the 
Reese Nelson, of course, against Bournemouth and to actually be in there and experience it. And yeah, it's just been a long time since I've just gone mad hugging random strangers next to me who I have no idea who they are, just in pure elation of a of a win like that. It was really, really special. Unfortunately, I didn't get to celebrate it in the pubs afterwards. You know what I did afterwards? I went and walked Caledonian Road, sat in the kiosk bit, the front bit of the station on their Wi-Fi, having to upload my video. <laughs> the only only oh. time only times that I was actually sitting there going, thank God, I wish I was back in the press box and on the Arsenal press Wi-Fi. And instead yes. I was sitting, sitting at Caledonia Road train station uh, trying to upload videos and stuff like that. But I did spend a good few hours in the pub before the game, uh, which was a lot of fun meeting some mates and uh, and getting back into that pre-match drinking routine, which was, uh, which was great fun. It was just a brilliant, it was a brilliant game. And Arsenal thoroughly deserved to win. I thought they were better than Manchester United. I thought United were poor. I thought Eric Ten Hag after the game was... Um, was odd we'll get on to him I just wanted to talk about this sort of formation I mean I I said and I got a bit I've been hammered for it a little bit today in the comments of the video I did this morning I thought that even if party was fit I wasn't sure he'd start I thought maybe he would use the back four that we saw start so obviously Ben White's the leader Gabriel Zinchenko but I thought going into the game before I heard about party's injury that we might see Ben Rice uh, Ben Rice Declan Rice in the uh in the holding role and then Havertz and Odegaard ahead of him. Do you what do you reckon would have happened if Pi would have been fit? I mean, obviously it's all hypothetical and we're we're totally just guessing. But well, would you can you imagine a midfield in that game where Pi's fit but on the bench? It's funny you say that because I heard some whispers after the news of Party's injury came out that you know, look, Mikel Arteta. In, particularly when he has a week to train, he will make sure he looks at multiple options for how he wants to line up his team, as we well know. But the sort of whispers I heard were that the plan had been to start Partey and Rice together. And and I think it would have been... I, I didn't know the full team, that's, but what I heard was, was, and this is possible, it's certainly that he was considering Partey, Rice, I think that would have meant dropping Havertz. It's just that that bit there is me guessing. Um just because Inketi has played so well, I don't think he mm. would have dropped. Um, the only thing that that makes the, the other thing that in the game I thought made me think, mm, you know, maybe he would have he would have started Partey at the base and Rice as an eight, was how Zinchenko and even when he came on Tomiyasu were inverting so far that Rice was the left sided central midfielder and Tomiyasu or Zinchenko Zinchenko were on the right. I think there's something about. Arteta really wanting to put Rice where he was for West Ham, left side of a midfield two. Um, so I, I, I do wonder, but um, I think however they did it, I think it worked really well. And although Havertz is getting pelters, I thought there were moments early on where he did some nice little, I mean, it doesn't kind of set against kicking fresh air when you should score. It's mm. not, you know, that's the thing I will remember. But I thought there were nice moments, especially early on, where he was dropping in deep as well and playing some good passes. And even that, um, there was one where he, he should really have found Odegaard and he undercooked the through ball. And of course, there was the one for Rashford's goal. But it was all the right ideas. Um, the execution isn't quite there at all. He, honestly, I said this today. He may as well have a sign of his head just saying, I have no confidence. It's so yeah. obvious in everything that he's doing. He's just a player who has no confidence. The underhit passes, all those sort of things. It's just so classic of a player who is just overthinking everything. And, and you know, when the ball comes to him, he's like, I've got to get this right. I've got to get this right. And then he'll just underhit because he's thinking too much. And it's just so plainly obvious. And yeah, it would, it would have definitely been interesting, I think, it had party been. Does that, does that, though, worry you a bit longer term? Because. I, I totally understand why he lost confidence at Chelsea, but nothing about the way Arteta has handled this situation should leave him lacking in confidence. They spent £65 million pounds on him, hmm. and a lot of us said that was like twice what we thought he was worth paying. Yeah, he started him every single game. I don't, I don't want to be unsympathetic to like you know the mentality of footballers, and it's not something I necessarily understand. But like, what's it going to take to get you confident and feeling yourself, Kai? Is is a question like I would be having if I were Arteta. That's for sure. I think I think it's just a big moment. I think it's him actually doing something in a match. I think you can have as much faith from a manager as you want. I still think you need to produce something which makes you think, oh, you know, I'm here. That's you know, I've shown these people who all doubt me 
what I'm about. And I'm not defending overly defending Kai Havertz. I've said at the time when Arsenal signed him, I wasn't really... I was a bit confused about the signing. I, I felt like it might work, but it was very much a... You know, at no point at the start of that summer did I ever think Arsenal were going to sign, sign Kai Havertz for £65 million. But um, I, I, it was just going to be... If, if he does something special, does something really big in a game, and yet the next game he continues to underperform, that's when I think I'd be really worried because I'd just i love to see something where you can almost visibly see the weight lift off his shoulders. And mm. I do feel that he's been a slightly unfortunate in a couple of occasions when he has had fairly big moments like... It was Fulham, wasn't it? He set up the goal for Odegaard that got ruled off for offside. And even the penalty yeah. at the weekend when he went charging through, which I actually quite liked, he showed a bit of urgency there. And, you know, it was instead of shifting the ball on, he actually drove into the space and got the penalty and won the penalty. And then even that was overturned. So when he's had a couple of big moments, they still haven't gone his way almost. So it's like everything's working against him. But look, he's a he's a professional footballer. He's an international footballer. He's a mm. 65-minute pound footballer. He needs to start stepping up and producing in matches. And at the moment, he's not quite doing it. But, you know, I still think... It's very early to judge, and I know that just annoys the hell out of everyone even saying that, but I, I really do think it is the case. Uh, right, I just wanted to quickly bring this up. You have mentioned it already. This is from Luke. He says, I'm a loving individual, but <laughs> genuinely can't stand Ten Hag. Whines when things don't go his way. Shocking behaviour from a Manchester United manager. Thank you, Luke. Now, you were in the press conference after. Quite frankly, it was one of the most... I, I, I almost, if you, you don't, you obviously don't watch wrestling, but it just reminded me of Chris Jericho when his brilliant run in WWE, when he had the list of, actually it started in WCW, but he brought it back in WWE. He just had the list of things and he just put everyone on the list that he didn't like when someone annoyed him, they'd go on the list. And that's all I could think about when Ten Hag was just reeling off these list of excuses that none of them made any sense at all. Hoyland's never a penalty. Offside, <laughs> it was offside. It was offside. Adverts, I still think, Ten Hag is slightly fortunate that his team managed to get that overturned, even though I don't mm-hmm. think it probably was a penalty. But I think once it's given on the field, I think I'm very surprised that got overturned by mm-hmm. VAR. And the goal, you know, Rice's goal was a goal. It wasn't a, you know, that's never going to get given as a foul. And it just made me that I just thought, what's he doing? He's just totally distracting, I think, from what was, I thought, a really poor United performance. I thought they were, they set up like a team who was sort of worrying about relegation rather than a team who had ambitions of a top four or even a title charge. I thought they were really, really negative. And yeah, I, don't, I, I came away from that game thinking, wow, United are not very good. Yeah, I've seen quite a bit of them this season and I've seen quite a bit of a few other teams. I've not seen any every team I need to stretch the imagination. But the two worst teams I've seen, in, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying this. I'm not saying this to wind up United fans. I mean this. The two worst teams I've seen in the flesh this season are uh, the three are Luton, Fulham, especially if they don't have Jao Polino in the team, and Man United. Now, they obviously have the quality to get better, but I've never seen a team that looks so incapable of getting the ball out of their back five as United did in the first half. Arsenal pressed them pretty well, um, but they have you know a really good release valve in Andre Onana. Um, and yet, even with that, you just kind of kept having to remind yourself that Christian Eriksen and Casemiro were professional footballers that were like appearing in this football match. Um, It was so easy for Arsenal to hem United in. And that was why, I mean, the thing I found almost more baffling was the insistence that this had been a good game by Manchester United. It it was like they did the things that United can do. Like Rashford did Rashford stuff. And I think we all knew when Havertz lost the ball and Ericsson picked it up. You're like, oh, this is the moment that uh, that Rashford does one of the things he does. Um, but like, you can't be a top six. Well, you certainly can't be a top four team playing football the way they do because 90% of the Premier League will not kind of treat you with the disrespect that Arsenal and Man City will. They They won't sort of press you, harass you. If you're Man United and if you're United and you try and play that way at Craven Cottage at against Wolves, as they did, you'll get absolutely nowhere because there's just nothing, nothing in possession about that team. Um, and yeah, Ten Hag, I mean, look, I don't want to kind of go too far into that because we've been in Mikel Arteta press conferences where he's done the exact same thing, but don't come with a laundry list of decisions that have gone against you um, when your team's made 
four or five half decent openings and like the offside one in particular i'm just like you know that you know that stockley park has access to better technology and better angles they may not be perfect but offside it's cut and dry mate much like it's cut and dry that arsenal were by far the better team and they weren't amazing by their standards no i don't i didn't think arsenal were great by any means i'm not sitting here thinking arsenal were, were brilliant in that game i thought certainly some of what we've seen so far from them this season going forward they struggled at times to cut united open they still created some good chances and you know had um had Bakaya stuck his one away when when he did you know that maybe that sort of grandstand then wouldn't have taken place and in a way i'm almost glad he missed it because then we did have that grandstand finish which was so special and i think we we're all going to remember for a long long time on Bakayo, I thought he struggled again and he struggled against Fulham. He didn't have the best game. Yes, he scored the penalty, but he struggled again. I know he got the assist for Declan Rice as well for the corner, but, you know, that was just a, a deep mm. corner. Have you watched Bukayo this season and, and thought to yourself, he, he's, he's struggling to really hit top form so far? Yeah, yeah. But maybe that is more just a reflection of what top form for him now looks like because I've got yeah. the numbers in front of me. And like the numbers aren't telling us everything because it was a bit. I, I thought United worked really hard to stop Arsenal getting down that side as well, getting down the right. But, you know, on a bad day, he created five chances, got in position for three shots, and should have scored that one. But quite often it goes through on that. Someone like on, you know, goes through the goalkeeper's legs, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, he set high standards. And I also, yeah, I do, I do think Arsenal were getting quite a lot of joy putting Martinelli up against um, Saka. Um So I think for that reason, maybe we just sort of saw Saka drift more to the the edges of the contest. And it, whenever he gets the ball, you still kind of sense that danger. Um, and I thought the danger was more pronounced in the knowledge that White would overlap. And then for that reason, it's like United start hedging to that side. They sort of say, we've got to close down the Saka Erdegaard. Um, Rashford was quite good defensively, I thought. The Saka Erdegaard white partnership, even if that means letting Martinelli go at Wambasaka. So I think it was probably situational, but um, it's one to keep an eye on, especially given that we, we've heard as well today that that he's training indoors with England. Yeah. Um, Maybe wouldn't be the worst idea for him to get just a little bit of time. He was he was play, playing big minutes in preseason, wasn't he? He's not got a rest. Playing for England whenever he can. I mean, this is the life of a key player for one of the best clubs in the world and for England. But it'd be nice for him to just have a little bit of a break. I think that would be all it would take for him to be flying again. What about you? Yeah, just on the top of my head, I, I seem to think if he started quite slowly the last couple of seasons, yeah. I think he has, hasn't he? He's not, but he's not absolutely exploded into both even like last season, even the season before that. I think there was a big talk about how long he'd gone without a goal. Yeah, yeah. So it might just be something like obviously just yeah. take his time a little bit to really sort of get in, get into his best form. Twenty two, of course. How is Bukayo Saka twenty two? It's his birthday today. <laughs> I, he's still seventeen. Oh. It's like he's still surely a seventeen year old kid. He's not twenty two already. I remember that first. Were you there in Frankfurt for his first European game? Yes. When um and. And the mix Arsenal zone brought him out in the mix zone afterwards because he scored and set up two in that. It was 3-0 win, wasn't it? And they were like, just go go easy on him. You're all here. You're in a big group. 17-year-old kids. He's going to be like a rabbit in the headlights. And he came out and was just amazing straight away. And you're like, yeah, this kid, this kid's special. The, the one thing I would say is he'd had a, a, a really good opportunity to, to hone his art in the mix zone beforehand. Um, I love bringing this up, but I was the first person to chat to to Bukayo, like first external person uh, after uh, this was the game in Charlotte, which I think was against Fiorentina. Um, and, you know, Bukayo hadn't really broken through then. I don't think he'd even made his debut, had he? Um, so this was under Emery, but he played well in preseason. And I remember saying to uh, Dan, one of the Arsenal press officers, you know, who, who do you want? And I was like, I'd like Bukayo Saka. And he's like, this is typical football.london. Picking the footballer that no one's heard of comes out, must be 17, 18. Then the quotes are sensational. You just this guy's giving better quotes than Gary Cahill, you know, the mix zone legends, better than Socrates. Um, there's a brilliant line where he said, you know, this young generation is going to take on the world, which so often I find myself thinking of. 
um, a 17 year old kid predicting the future. So uh, happy birthday, Makaya. And um, yeah, this kid's just so, so mature. He is. He's a, he's a very special guy. He really is. And uh, yeah, ho- hopefully he finds his top form very, very soon. And you know, I agree with you. It'd be quite nice if he does get a bit of a rest for England, but I highly doubt it because he never gets a rest. Um, of course, before the United game was transfer deadline day, a day before United game, honestly, I was so hungover from the book launch on a <laughs> transfer deadline day. It was such a mission. Um, I don't know what you think of the squad now, like, I've got it in front of me. If you're watching this on YouTube, everyone who is, you can see I've got the list of the, the squad. And I know I've spoken about it on previous videos, but James, in your view, when you look at where Arsenal are now, as we sort of head into the first international break, just ahead of the return of the Champions League, do you look at that squad and think that's a squad that is enough for what Arsenal want to achieve? Certainly during the first half of the season. Of course, we've got January where they can, they can add some more to this squad. But do you kind of look at that? Or do you think... They're taking a little bit of a risk defensively with who they've got there, because especially when you look at that list, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, there's eight there, but one of them is out for the season and the other one's Cedric Suarez. So, <laughs> what? And that's no dig of Cedric, but I, I pretty, I'm still pretty expecting that Cedric's probably going to go at some point in the next few weeks, whether it be to Turkey or a contract termination. We'll see. But do you think Arsenal got enough after the after the window? Not quite. It's sort of a grit, grit your teeth moment, isn't it? And hope you can scrabble through. I mean. We forget how much of, well, these sorts of weeks are are reminders, how much of the pre-January time, pre-Christmas as well, gets blocked out by international football. And so that's two weeks, two weeks, two weeks that just give you a little bit more wiggle room, a little bit more of a moment until you get to January, considering then that you'll have Partey go to AFCON in all likelihood. I don't know if Ghana have qualified yet. Um, El Neni would be away as well, wouldn't he? Then the numbers would look really light because I suppose it's the six defenders plus Partey who's out for six weeks. So it, it it's grit your teeth moments and hope you can get through. I think the concern as well as when you look down that list, I don't know that Zinchenko will be able to play uh, three games in in seven days more than once or twice between now and Christmas. Tommy, I know that some of the injuries have been a bit like they're not wear and tear injuries, but we all know injuries are the best indicator of future injuries. So it feels one light. I'm going to say something a bit rogue. I wonder if Sergio Ramos would have been a solution to this or just it just needs to be a body, doesn't it? It needs to be someone that you could turn to, uh, you know, if all else fails, if every because the quality I think is perfectly de- adequate in all of those players, I wish they'd just picked up a v- warm body of a fairly experienced defender who's comfortable on a one-year contract or whatever, sitting on the fringes. Maybe someone that you use, kind of in the way that Arteta uses El Neni, or that you know I'm reading an excellent book which starts with this book by Charles Watts talking about how. Mikel Arteta was so valuable in the dressing room, even when he wasn't playing that often. I think it would have been nice to have picked up that sort of veteran. You're basically a Jorginho. A, a, a Jorginho, another yeah, Jorginho, yeah. Another Jorginho. Why do you think they didn't do it then? Because they've obviously had a long time to think about it after Timber's injury. You know, it's not like Timber's just got injured. He was injured a long time ago. So they had a, a, they had a good few weeks to sort of assess it and, and work things out. And they've decided not to do it. Why do you think they've done that because I'm really surprised. I think especially when you consider they've got rid of Holding and Kieran Tierney, who between them clocked up about over 50 appearances in all competition last Mm. season. So although, you know, they weren't regulars by any means, between those two, that's 50 appearances last season. You know, not starts, obviously, but still that's a big amount of games that you've lost there. And so the one player you've basically brought in to strengthen the defence, you've lost him all season and you've given away two players who clocked up 50 appearances last season. So there must be a reason that they've decided not to do it. It's because um, it, it does, on the face of it, just seem really, really surprising, given the demands and what they're trying to achieve this season, both in you know, domestically and and abroad. And you wiped two hundred grand off the wage bill as well. It should be said, um, obviously holding a full sale, but I understand that Sausage, Rail Sausage, quite surprisingly, actually, are, mm. are covering all of Tierney's wages. So there, there was a the money there had, had had opened up a little bit. 
And obviously Pepe will be off soon uh, and you won't get all his wages off the books, but you'll get some of it. So, you know, we talked a lot in the final weeks of the window about they need to sell, they need to trim back the squad. But they actually did a lot of that. There's no one on that list really other than Pepe and to an extent Cedric that, that Arteta wanted gone that hasn't gone yet. And we know that Pepe will go soon. So I I do think for that reason, it's, you know, they didn't get the fees they would have liked, but I think therefore you kind of, if you don't get the fees you want, then you adjust what you're going to put in to getting this, this, this extra player. Cause you just want someone like a Yossi Ben Ayun who can come in for the, for the season. Cause I think you have to plan off Timber not being available for the whole season. Now, Maybe that player wasn't out there. Maybe that player is a free agent that is still on the market. Um, I'm totally spitballing here. And they can actually still sign that free agent for a, a couple more days. Not, I've not had any indication that will happen. But I have to assume that they, they – I, I know they looked, so I have to assume they just didn't find anyone that, that ticked their boxes. But I would – Yeah. We know they don't panic, don't we? We've seen it in the last few windows. If they don't find someone, they don't, they don't do it. They're not just going to sign someone for the sake of it. Even you look at United, they've gone out and signed. They lost Luke Shaw to injury. They went outside Regulon just to bring him in as cover mm. for that injury. And I just, yeah, I, I'm surprised. Is it is it almost worth, you know, just keeping Cedric around now for the first half of the season just to have that option if you're not going to move him on, if he's not going to go, just to have that option if you need if you need. You know, some someone. I know he's not going to play very often, but I sort of look at that now and think it probably is wise. And I know Cedric wants to go, and it has been looking to move. Nothing's come up yet. There is still an opportunity for it to possibly happen. But yeah, I do look at it and just wonder if it's if it's worth keeping him around now, just for the, just for the first half of the season, anyway. Uh, I mean, I, I would because he's not going to kick up a fuss. I'm not saying that that Pepe would, but he's sort of he's someone that Arteta likes as a player and a person he's a good dressing room guy i mean that and like you know kind of that those are almost the the boxes i was running through about what do i want from this defender that they didn't get you know i want someone that that can plug a gap at an absolute emergency but more is just a solid guy around the squad cedric is as good an option as, as any to give you that. And I think if he can't find a move he wants, I wouldn't be rushing to to terminate his contract. I think with Pepe, the difference is I can imagine that Arteta, I can see a world where Arteta plays Cedric. Yeah. I cannot, I can list you about six players in the academy that Arteta will pick before Pepe. There's no, there is no world where Arteta is going to play yeah. Pepe between now, now and the end of the season, is there? So they, yeah. I, I I get I, I agree exactly what you're saying. <laughs> just, he's just not gonna he's not gonna play Nicholas Pepe. Um, obviously things are going on with Pepe at the moment. We've seen lots of reports in from France that he's about to sign for Besiktas. Although when I was sort of checking that out, I was kind of told it's nowhere near as uh, as sort of clean cut as it seems to be being reported over there. We've now actually seen in France that it's now been reported that it's stalled. So that kind of tallies up with what I was being told. And the Saudi Arabia stuff continues to go on. There's more talk about that today so yeah we'll see what what's, happens the, what's the latest well for uh, saudi know, but yeah i, I can't i'd have what. to i'd have to check it i can't even remember I, where I, where i saw it from, today, from, but it was what definitely... I, from what i heard the salary he's asking for or he he asked for in july his representatives asked for was way out of line with like anything he could get from a saudi arabian club really? <laughs> which <laughs> what was the offer <laughs> Uh, Al Shabab I, I, I saw linked today. That was mm. it. It would have been it would have been like a significant pay rise for what he was on at Arsenal. And um I think although there are a lot of clubs who in, in Saudi Arabia would say, Yeah, you know, God, he'd be a great addition for us. Um I think they would sort of maybe counter that his career has gone in a direction since joining Arsenal that means he's maybe not the player that uh Arsenal paid 72 million and gave best part of 200 grand a week. Yeah. To. So, um, 
Yeah, the I thing is, I don't, I don't get why any club would even bother bidding for Nicolas Pepe at the moment because you just wait it out. You know what's going to happen, mm. don't you? If you don't, why, why would you make any sort of offer for Pepe? Because you know, if you don't do anything, Arsenal are just going to pay off his contract at some point in the next few weeks, and he'll be available on a free transfer. So it just doesn't make really any sense why anyone would um, be 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 doing that. Is it brings into the question again more about Edu and his ability? Mm to bring money in. I think Arsenal at the moment is around the sort of 80 million mark just over that they've received for players this summer, which isn't the worst. I think there's a big Kieran Tierney-shaped hole in that figure that mm. had Tierney gone, which I think Arsenal are certainly expecting. We're all expecting that have made over 100 million this summer, which was the, the kind of number I think they were aiming at when, when we started things. So I think that has to be taken into account slightly. And I don't really blame Eddie for that. The bids just didn't come in for Kieran Tierney. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. But I still think there is. We we I, I was kind of hoping that I was going to be proved wrong about <laughs> Eddie's ability to to bring money in, and we could kind of silence that. But I don't think that has happened with this summer. And I look at the Rob Holding deal, for example, and I just think that's the most remarkable deal of all the ones that have taken place. That's like that's worse than Bert Leno almost, which was dreadful. But one million pound up front for Rob Holding, I don't I don't get it. You Tottenham, I had this rant this morning, so I don't want to just duplicate it but Tottenham got 13 million for Sanchez yesterday yeah he's the same age who had two what had less than a year left in his contract holding with the option had two years he's going to a good Premier League club I just don't get it I do not understand how you only get one million pounds for upholding I just that one just if you're in negotiations with a club you know and Palace aren't poor I can't believe Palace wouldn't have gone higher I mean maybe I'm just totally wrong but I just I don't get how you can't get more than that money for a 27 year old proven Premier League player with two years left on his deal when you're selling to another Premier League club is but this this point the um, adventure wannabe makes says Eddie has finished as a salesman holding deal is the latest of a series of shambolic sales sackable really obviously that's not going to happen but or at least hire someone else to do our sales now I was talking it was at a book launch me and Sam Dean were just having a chat and we, were, and we were talking about selling and the money was brought in. And we, we were that very sort of thing of, you know, can you hire a sales manager? Can you appoint a sales manager? I don't think it would ever happen. It would be seriously undermining to anything. But yes. is there is there an example of this in world football where a club has a sporting director, but then they would also have someone who just purely looks after sales? I can't think of one, but is there one? I cannot think of one at all. But I think... There are certainly sporting directors who make their money and make their reputation through selling well, aren't there? Um, like the one that immediately comes to mind is someone like a Monchi who has gone off the boil a fair bit since leave since Arsenal nearly appointed him. Um, I mean, uh, what's the guy's name? Michael Edwards at Liverpool as well. Because this is the thing: is you, it, your immediate response to to posts like that is to sort of say. Well, you know, look at all the players Chelsea haven't sold. And I mean, Sanchez is a good example, but look at many of the players that Tottenham haven't sold and and, and are stuck on their wage wage bill. I mean, Hoiberg's still there, isn't he? And, mm. um, and all sorts. But then there are still teams like, you know, the, the, the Liverpool of the, in their peak period. And I, I did want to sort of believe at the start of this summer that, that Arsenal could put themselves in a position like Liverpool were in where, you know, yeah, that, you know, Flo Balogun and Dominic Solanke were, were quite comparable in a way. Um, and I thought the Flo Balogun fee all in was a tad disappointing. I mean, it, it's quite weird. I, I'd spent all, I, I had things prepped and everything prepped had club record sale. 
and it's not like for Flo Balogun, who you wanted 50 million for. I think that there's clearly a a thing with Edu where he has caved at the last minute on several deals. Leno's a great example because they were telling Fulham for a long time in that summer, price is about 10 million and it collapsed. Mm-hmm. Balogun, 50, frankly, 50 million to uh, what, 40, what was it, about 35 million pounds. I, I can only think of it in euros, 40 million euros. That's a, a that's a generous discount, that isn't it? You know that is Boxing Day uh, Boxing Day sales level discount. Um, holding in is it, the prime. In example. a way, in a way, I kind of agree because of that fifty million. But I also, I'd much rather Arsenal sold Balogun for thirty four million pounds to Monaco than they sold him to, for fifty million pounds to a Premier League club. And yeah, if they're not going to sell him to a Premier League club, I don't really see them getting. They were never going to get fifty million from a, 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 a foreign club. The only, you know, I, I looked at this at the time. The top ten sales of all time in France, all 10 of them are PSG, um, uh, transfer fees paid, all 10 of them PSG, obviously. And I think number 10 in that list was 44 million euros or something. So, you know, I think for Arsenal to got any more for Balogun, if they weren't selling to PSG, who obviously weren't interested in him, Mm. I think I I kind of give Edu a little bit of leeway in that one. And I would, like I said, I'd much rather him gone there and take 10 million pounds off than him go to Chelsea. If they'd have sold him to Chelsea or Premier League club, they would have had to got closer to 50 million. But yeah, I, I kind of can kind of give him a little bit of leeway on that one. But, but I do think if the, if the money you're getting on offer for Burnt Leno is, what was it? What was that? Five? Less. Four or five? It was four, I think, up front. I think it raised to about 8 million at the end of this season with like, so yeah, relegation again. Yeah, exactly. Which, to be fair, they might well do because of Bert Leno. Um, if that's what you're getting, you need to be confident enough, assertive enough to go. No, we'll keep him. Holding one million pounds with maybe two and a half million. I mean, you know how some of that is weighted as well. It will be, you know. Some of it will be if Palace step, but some of it will be if Holding makes X number of appearances and Palace have got him in to be the third choice centre-back and he may well not make those appearances if Mark Gay and Anderson are fit because they're great centre-backs. Uh, for that, I'd rather have Rob Holding. Mm. Like, you know, if, if if Arsenal were in that position they're in now and someone said for a million pounds you can have Rob Holding, I'd go, yeah, go on. Smash glass in case of emergency centre back. It wasn't as bad as as people said. I mean, you know, Arsenal season would take a a nosedive a bit if Saliba got injured and Holding had to play the run in. But it would take more of a nosedive if Saliba gets injured and you've got to reconstitute your whole midfield or you've got to promote some kid from the academy to to plug the gap. I just think. I just some of these it's better to not do a deal than to do such bad deals yeah. selling to Premier League clubs. Yeah. I wonder if the holding one was, you know, he's so he's such a nice guy. Nice guy. He's been around for so long and it was kind of a like you can go. We're we're gonna be nice. You can go, but I don't think that helps anyone long term in terms of finances. But mm. I want one thing and you know, I do with sort of ranting about the holding deal, which I have been. I do kind of slightly contradict myself in, in a way where I kind of think, to be honest, I don't really care that much about how much money Arsenal get for <laughs> players because they've been rubbish sellers for a while now and the Cronkies have still invested a hell of a lot of money. And so it's not like it's stopping Arsenal signing players. They're still doing it. You just you just kind of want the club to be a slightly better run in that regard, though, don't you? I, I think. And I was hoping this summer was going to be the summer where, where we saw that and 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 they kind of stopped being seen as a little bit of pushovers in the transfer market. And I'm not sure they've shaken that tag off yet. And I think that's a little bit disappointing. Can I can I ask you a question? How much do you think they let's assume that the situation with Smith Rowe goes the way it looks like it's going. And um, you know, he, he doesn't play enough over this season. And I don't think anything will be decided before before the summer. How much would Arsenal get for Smith Rowe? Oh God, I don't um, know. I mean, it's hard, isn't it? Because I, again, fear, it, it's I, I make... fear it could be quite low. Well, yeah. I mean, what did they reject those bids? I think the highest Villa went was 35. Did they go 35? 35? Yeah. And at, at the time I was told double that would start, would, would be considered, you know, then you're willing to have a conversation. Yeah. But that was when he was hot and he was in the team and he was mm. one of the key men, wasn't it? And obviously if he's going to, if he's literally going to sit on his arse all season on the bench, then it's, 
you know, you're not going to be in a strong bargaining position again come the summer. The only thing is, he is young, he is English. He's, you would be selling to a Premier League club, but I don't. I really don't want to consider the prospects of selling Smith Rowe. But um, yeah, he needs to play. He needs to start getting minutes. And if if not, you're not going to be able to ask too much. But I, I would not want to be parting ways with Emil for anything less than forty million pounds by any means. Because I just, think, I still think he's such a good player, and he'll go on and be a great player anywhere and I don't want to see him play for anyone else I want to see him play for Arsenal and yeah. I think that's a lot of the frustration stemming from Havertz as well at the moment isn't it everyone's just like oh, Smith Rowe could play that role he could mm-hmm. play it well he could play it more effectively than than Havertz is doing at the moment and I think that's kind of why a lot of people at the moment are getting on Havertz's back just because Smith Rowe is just this completely unused player sitting on the substitutes bench it'll be interesting once we come back from this international break and all the football starts you know sort of coming week after week now with Champions League and Carabao Cup Although Arsenal, you know, whether Arsenal get through the first round of that Carabao Cup <laughs> remains thing. They've not got the nicest of ties. Um, and you'd hope then that Smith ran. Mikel said it, didn't he? He said, look, these, this period, it's just one game every weekend. It's very tough. Once we come back from the international break, that's going to change. There's going to be lots of games and everyone's going to get minutes. And I just hope he's true to his word in that regard. And we start mm. to see him all because he's far too good to be sitting, sitting around. He, he really, really is. Um, right. I don't know if you share your anxiety. What, what, what were your first, first thoughts when you heard yesterday um, that Gabriel Jesus had got a late call-up to the Brazil squad? Mm, what was your, yeah. your first thought that ran through your head? Don't like that. Don't like that one bit. Um, I was like, can't Arsenal do something about it? Or you're like, God, I wish it. <laughs> If only there was a world where you could sort of go back through time and say to Mikel, like, or say, say to Fabio Vieira, don't play the pass. Because who knows? If if Jesus doesn't score, maybe the Brazil national team don't really notice he's back. Yeah. I don't, I just don't want him. You want to wrap him in cotton wool. Because as good as Nketi has been, like, Arsenal get their spark. Like, it's all a bit more propulsive when Jesus is on the pitch um, and you, you can't do anything about it. And I think the real challenge is he's going there and uh, let me get the fixtures up, but I know it's, um, it's the start of the world cup qualifying for Brazil. And of course they're Brazil. They'll get to the world cup, you know, Bol- Bolivia, Peru, per- he's got to go to Peru on Wednesday, more early hours of Wednesday morning, our time in the UK. So I pretty much think, Quite often with those games we've seen in the past, you kind of have to write off them playing in the game after. I think Everton away is on the Sunday, so maybe he can take part. But, you know, it's just not, it's not at all, it's not at all helpful for Arsenal. Of course, the Brazilian FA shouldn't be thinking about what's best for Arsenal, but to an extent, they should be thinking about what's best for Gabriel Jesus. And I'm not sure that flying across, flying across uh, the Atlantic Ocean then doing all the tra- internal traveling within South America for two games where he's probably not needed. I'm not sure that's what's good for Gabriel Jesus. No, no, I agree. I was, I was just like, oh, you're kidding me. But as soon as I heard, but I think, you know, they, they're South American players, especially they're so determined to play for their country. Yeah. I'm sure he'll be really happy. And lots of people have been sort of at me on social and saying, you know, this could be good for him. We'll get some minutes into his belt and he'll come back fitter and more match fit when when he comes back <laughs> quick question i didn't ask you do you think diego dallo dallo has stopped sliding yet <laughs> how He's... glorious is that some of the memes on the social were hilarious for that it was like I... it was like the sort of anti that soul campbell slide yeah that soul campbell slide get but like you never got near the ball oh that was so good there's a brilliant I picture never doubted from it for behind... a second there's a brilliant picture from behind the goal of Dallow, I think he has at that point just about stopped sliding, but he's got his neck arched backwards to see where the ball is. And the ball's <laughs> just rolling into the bottom corner, and you get just, just a look on his face of like, "Oh no, this is going to be all over the internet." <laughs> so I, um, I, I, I was when he was warming up, I was like, oh, "You know, what's Jesus's record against United?" Like the minute I saw that he'd never done anything for City against them no goals no assists I knew if I just put this tweet out into the universe he's scoring one here um and what a goal it was so you're taking credit for that aren't you I am I get the I get the assist you get the assist Fabio Vieira does not get the assist um did you see have you watched bench cam yet Arsenal released bench cam did you see in the build-up to that goal Arteta is sort of pointing and screaming at Fabio Vieira to take the ball into the corner oh Fab got that ball 
He's a yeah. Mate, Fabio is not doing that. Fabio knows there's an assist in this. uh, It was kind of Martinelli against Aston Villa all over again. It wasn't quite that much fun. Didn't you think? I I was trying to like, if we briefly go back to this game, because there's been so many like brilliant daft endings. In my head, I've been trying to rank this one. I think obviously like Bournemouth is the, the zenith. I don't know when something that isn't winning a trophy will beat that in the Emirates era. Um. But weirdly, because you brought it up, I I kept thinking, I think it was because it was quite funny as well for us. We were both there, weren't we? And, you know, there was both the celebration and the joyousness and, you know, the the sense that this might be something, something might be building here for Arsenal. But it was also just really bloody stupid finale against Aston Villa. And that for me is like still number two in my power rankings of brilliant endings to Arsenal games because it, that was the one for me that just had the absolute that, that was very lot. very funny especially as it was me you and Kaya sat next to each other and we were right in the middle of the Villa fans and we had to try <laughs> you had to yeah. try and, and keep it under wraps a little bit I think we were hitting each other on the legs as he's going with the, with the coach swinging they, they swinging behind us yeah they're having well. a ruck the analysts were having a ruck behind us in the background and the fact that Evie Martinez banged one in off his head when Jorginho shot come off the bar that was very funny and that meant a lot as well because Arsenal just that was after the City defeat, wasn't it? So they'd gone three mm. games out of feet at that point and he's kind of thought all oh, season over and then they responded and that, that did feel big. Su- Sunday was really special, to be honest. I think it was because I was back in there as well, back in the crowd and you know, I hadn't had a day like that or a, uh, a game like that in so long since since well back. It was up there. It was strangely, the Jesus one was the better of the two, although obviously Rice's goal was the winner and that was the crucial one. The fact you're still almost kind of celebrating that and then yeah. you're, you're kind of nervous because they had a couple of long throws and it's like, oh my God, do not let me equalise, do not let me equalise. And then, but you've still got that adrenaline pumping from the first goal and then suddenly Jesus scored down. It was that brilliant sort of move as well where each stage of it, the anticipation goes up with more and more. First when Reese, who by the way was brilliant when he came on, Reese yep. Nelson, really good cameo, when he won that ball and then it got to Vieira and you kind of thought, oh, go on Fabio, go on. And you, you hear the crowd go up it each time and then he plays the ball to Jesus and the gout crowd go up again and then as Dallow comes sliding across there's that silence of what's going to happen and then obviously cuts inside and you hear yeah oh, it's just amazing absolute scenes as they say it was a it was a lot of fun a lot of fun um right we're up to about sort of 45 minutes so there's a couple of, I just wanted to quickly because I think we need to flag this because I think it was really big and he's been speaking today um Eddie and Ketia, you know, big moment for him. Obviously, got the start of the weekend. Didn't you know? I, I thought he worked hard. He did, it was it was a difficult game for for a lot of players, mm. and, but he, I didn't think he put in a bad shift by any means. But you know, big moment for Eddie today. He was talking in front of the press for the for the first time. Talked about receiving the call when he was at, he was at home with his parents and his family, and the text came through. And you know, a real special moment for him and rich reward for a really good start to the season. And so while we're kind of on one hand, we're talking about Jesus going off and we're worried about Jesus, you know, Eddie of course has been just as influential this season, if not more influential than Jesus. And he's going off on international duty as well, but um, it's kind of a slightly different feeling with him, isn't it? It's not rather than anxiety. You kind of feel a little bit kind of almost proud that he's, he's got this, he's got this call up. It's taken a while. And um, yeah, I thought he spoke really well today in the presser. Really well. And, it, and I think one of the joys of this was, I don't know about you, I hadn't I hadn't heard about it. I don't believe it was even being reported anywhere before the squad dropped. Um, so it was like, oh, wow. And you sort of see it on the, wow, Eddie, um, huge delight for him. And also we've got to remember, you know, he's had ways of getting out of the England setup. Ghana were really pushing for him before the World Cup. And I think we all looked at that situation and was like, Eddie, you should you should go for that, mate. You know that's the the chance to play at a World Cup, the chance to play senior football. And I think a lot of us thought Nketiah won't get that with England. Um, delighted to be wrong on that front because he has developed into a really solid all round forward with those top level poaching qualities. You know, it's a long way off, but well, it's not, is it? It's the end of this season. Euro 2024, you know, let's say it's the the 88th minute, it's one all in the semi-final. God, I take that right now. Um, and Southgate's got one sub to make. You'd want to throw and get here on the pitch. You know, there, there are qualities there that you love having in, in tournaments, aren't there? That, that poacher's instinct. So I hope he gets his chance against Ukraine or Scotland. The, the striker pool is, is hardly overflowing after Harry Kane, so... If he can keep getting his minutes at Arsenal, 
he's probably got a really good chance of being on the being on the plane to Germany. And I think that he's, would he's be definitely going to be in the running. I think who, who, who would he be going up against at the moment? Callum Wilson. Um, mm. I don't know, Flo, I suppose. Calvin, if if, if Flo bangs the goals in for Monaco. No, oh, Flo, of course, he's gone to USA. Yes. What am I talking about? Uh, <laughs> and and moment. he is cut tied because of some CONCACAF tournament that you can watch on Paramount Plus. Yeah, I know he is um, absolutely chosen the USA. So, yeah, scrap that. Cal- um, Calvert Lewin, maybe, if he's ever fit. Not going to stay fit, isn't he? And I think the fact they've signed Beto now, who is yeah. not quite good actually in a couple of brief appearances I've seen for Everton, it's almost like they're sort of moving on from Calvert Phillips at, at the moment under Dyche. I'm dreading that game, by the way, so much after the international break at Goodison. Absolutely dreading it. I, I hate Goodison as it is. And no matter how rubbish Everton are and how good Arsenal are, they will always lose there. <laughs> it's just, and yep. you just know I'm, I'm dreading it. Absolutely dreading it. Um, but yeah, who else is there? Cadden Wilson? Abraham. Um, Abraham, Danny Ings. I feel like yeah. we're missing. I feel like we're missing someone. We we really aren't. It's you know, and that's it's because it's kind of the big thing that's hovering over England, isn't it? And like you know, twenty twenty six, will Harry Kane still be going? So you know what would be incredible? Twenty twenty six World Cup, England draw USA, Balogun on one team and Ketia on the other. That's that is what the Arsenal fan, the Arsenal writers of the world demand. Ivan Tony, there you go, and Ollie Watkins. Ivan Tony's quite good, isn't he? Yeah, and Ollie Watkins. But I mean, who's had a decent yeah. run for Villa? Certainly, the end of last season, Watkins had a very decent run. Did he get? He, did he, he got called up once, didn't he? He did get called season. up. Yeah, yeah, he got a call up. Things with Southgate. So many times we saw it with Ivan Tony when he first called him up. He didn't actually give him a game, did he? He called him mm. up the squad and didn't use him. So we're interested to see if Eddie actually gets a gets a run out over the over. I the mean, now that you mentioned Tony, I'm like, well, if Tony's anything like he was before. Eddie's Eddie's basically got to hope there's a third striker in that squad, but yeah, like he's got a good chance of being in and around there, and maybe an injury happens. And like he do England no, so uh, England would not be a worse team having Eddie and Ketty in the squad. No, no, I think I think you're right. Okay, just going to flag this one before we go now. It, I was I was looking through the comments. I thought oh, this is quite mm. a good one to to go with now. Obviously, this is going back a couple of seasons after the, the, those three opening defeats, then went away on the international break, came back for the Norwich, Norwich game. Should know that because that's played quite a key part in the book. Um, and suddenly Ramsdale <laughs> was in, and it was a kind of the, the new dawn almost was that kind of that game. I think the mm. Arsenal ended, it might have ended with all six summer signings on the pitch together at the same time. They certainly did, did in that Tottenham game that followed it. Um, I don't think this is going to happen, but. It, what what do you think about Ramsdale potentially being replaced by Raya after international break? Do you think it will happen? I think it's fifth. I don't think it will, but I may be only something like 55-45 on that. Well, the, when Just the because Brentford I, game, the Brentford game is coming up fairly soon. Now I saw Tom Canton reported today that yeah, Brentford have given Arsenal permission that they can play Raya in that game. So that, so that would, would be his first match, wouldn't it? If he yes. doesn't get a call up before that. And then the Champions League starts the following week. Um, the one thing I would say is I thought Ramsdale was very cautious uh, and a little slow with his passing. And against a team like United in particular, I thought having Raya, who is so ready to come high up the pitch to deal with danger way out of his box. I thought that would have helped a little bit. So I I don't think that like Ramsdale gave Arteta exactly what he wanted, uh, what he's wanted in the past. I still think Ramsdale's done enough to hold on and he's not done anything wrong. Um I think I think you know you know me you know I've said all along I think that Raya will will take this starting role at some stage this season. I think now he feels a little too early, yeah. but I, I still see it coming down the tracks if Ramsdale doesn't start adding a little bit more zip when he has the ball. It's so frustrating because I've seen him do that so many times in an Arsenal shirt. Get the ball, move it quickly, ping it if he needs to, or keep it short. But I thought one of the reasons, I think one of the reasons Arsenal have been a little bit slow this season is Ramsdale could really inject a bit more pace when the ball's at his feet. Would you reckon? But you're you're a no. You think it's no? I don't think Ramsdale. Really. I, I agree. I think Ramsdale still keeps the spot. I think there's a difference in the comparison. Obviously, Arsenal lost those three games and they've just got mm. hammered against City. I don't really think any of the goals were Leno's fault in that five 0 at City before the international break. But it kind of you felt like things needed to change a little bit. Obviously, Mikel thought that as well. 
I don't, we're, obviously Arsenal haven't lost a game yet this season. They're, they're sitting with 10 points from 12. And I know a lot, some people were questioning Ramsdale for Rash, Rashford's goal. I think that was very harsh. I think, you know, you can certainly question Ben White. You can question Saliba for that. I think those that could have been defended far, far better, that that whole mm. situation. But, I, you know, Ramsdale got his hand to it, but it was, a, it was a decent shot. It was right in the corner. I think there's a lot of more people to blame for that incident than there was uh, Aaron Ramsdale. So I think it'd be really harsh. I think they'll keep him, they'll keep it as it is. And then, you know, once the Brentford game in the cup comes around, we'll see Raya. Maybe we'll see him in the Champions League as well. And that'll be the kind of how you try and keep both happy throughout the season. Um, Shall we briefly talk think? about the Champions League draw? Briefly, because we ain't got uh, long. What do you think about it? You, anyone else I, I, a bit I think disappointed? I, I, it, it was during the book launch. So we had it on, we had it on the big screens while, you know, I was actually, I was signing books at the time. So everyone was kind of queuing up and they were watching it on the screen. I couldn't really keep, I kept having to ask because what's happened. I kept hearing cheers and I'd look around and see what's happened. And then um, I was talking to Sam about it and he was like, it feels, it feels a bit Europa League. <laughs> and I think it does when you look at it, it does. I mean, obviously Arsenal played PSV in the Europa League last season. Sevilla are the Europa League specialists and Lons, you know, they hadn't been in the Champions League for a long, long time. So it does feel... Mm. A little bit Europa League, but I don't think that's anything to complain about. I think you want that in the group stage. You know, as much as it would have been brilliant to return to the Champions League with a huge game against one of the giants at the Emirates for the sort of romance of it all, you know, just get through the group, win the group, and then that game is going to come anyway further down the line. So, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly happy. I'd much rather have this this group on than that group. We have a sort of stats and and info team that that sort of pull together the odds. Um, you know, like they, they gave us the Champions League winners odds on like June the 11th. So start of the summer, Arsenal were, I'm having a quick glance for now. They give me an American odds, which I know none of our thingies will understand. But they were somewhere around seventh or eighth favourites. Um, Similar-ish, maybe. Well, certainly that their odds significantly decreased after the draw and they're now fourth favourites. You kind of have to think they've got such a good chance of topping the group. Um, and as someone that professionally watches a lot of Champions League, I think the the brief era where it didn't matter where you finished in your group is now well and truly over. Like there are six or seven really good teams in that thing in that group in that thirty two. Most of them will top their group. So if you you know if you can get a, a second place team, then you're in the last eight, and then you are truly in the realms of who knows what random nonsense might happen. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm happy with it. I can't wait. It's actually, I was looking at the fixtures earlier to see what the next home game was, and it was the Champions League. And I did think, oh my God, the next time we're at the Emirates is the Champions League. It's just going to be so, so great. I, I can't wait. Even, yeah, it might not be a Bayern Munich, it might not be a Barcelona, but yeah, just hearing that. I know you're a big fan of the Europa League, Anthem, <laughs> James. I should be playing I, that. Get my head, get my noise cancellers on. I, I, I still hate when you put that one as Tony Soprano listening to it. I have dare you link the surprise to the Europa <laughs> League um but yeah I can't wait to hear that Champions League theme once again look we are up to the 55 minute point so if you are one of the few who might still be listening or watching thank you very much <laughs> for that everyone and myself and James will be back uh next week not gonna have too much of Arsenal to talk about next week because it's going to be obviously a jam-packed week of international football to go but we'll still come back and do a show for you so keep your eyes peeled for that and for the usual inside Arsenal I'll be back tomorrow of course, talking all things the club, so keep tuned for that. James, thank you very much, mate. Have a very good evening. What, what are you up to now? What's the, what's the plan for the rest of the Tuesday? Well, Hannah's out, so... Um, party for I'm gonna, Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm, I've got, uh, I'm going to play some Hogwarts Legacy on my PS5, because I'm grown up. Are you going <laughs> to do that with Art de Rocha? If, if it were two-player, I promise Art and I would be playing it. Um, yeah. He, he got me into it, and... Um, I have a yeah, I have a level twenty four Slytherin uh, kid called Bruce Wayne because uh, I couldn't come up with a better name, and having all sorts of fun on that. You're never what about yourself. Looking at you're proposing them to get their kids ready for school or something horrible. I like that, that aren't you? Kids go back to school again, but I'm sorry, you're not getting away. You're never taking the piss out of me for watching wrestling ever again after what you just <laughs> said about that Harry Potter video and, games. Yeah. So um, yeah. No, nothing fun for me. I'm going to be downloading, uploading this video and a podcast for the rest of the evening. Um, the bells. And, and yeah, getting ready for the kids to return to school. The school holidays are over. As much as I love my kids, you have no idea how happy that makes me. <laughs> <laughs> right. Cheers, mate. And I, yeah, we'll catch up with you soon. Yeah. Cheers. Yeah. See you next week. Small details are big surfaces. 
tight corners or odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 